Thank you, Jarek, for wonderful song service. Thank you, Glenn, for the wonderful uh, communion thought that you presented to us today. Appreciative of that. I want to thank our teachers this morning for teaching our young ones, our, our shepherds, our deacons, our volunteers. We're so appreciative of all the work that you do here at this church to make it so special. I want to say good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. What a great day to be out in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you're uh, here visiting with us for the first time, we always say it, and we're going to say it every morning, uh, we're excited that you're here and so blessed to have you here. You are our honored guest, and you're always welcome here to this church whenever the doors are open, because when they're closed, you can't get in. Amen. But there's a, a card in the back of your uh, pew this morning. We'd ask that you take that card out. Fill it out, and you can pass it in to me. We've got a box in the foyer, or one of our shepherds will take that card from you. We'd love to reach out to you and invite you back to uh, one of our services or get you involved in one of our ministries because we have a wonderful, wonderful church here, and I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of Mission Viejo. So uh, thank you for being here with this morning. Uh, this morning is a, uh, is a bittersweet uh, morning because we are going to complete uh, today our five-week uh, sermon series entitled Home Improvement. So today we are, we are going to be finishing uh, this whole sermon series, and some of you are probably saying, yes, amen, let's, let's get on to something else. Um, but anyway, I hope and pray that this series of lessons has been beneficial to you and to your family, to your walk of faith. And as we've stated this entire time, you know families are in a time of great transition. And there's a lot of stress placed on the American family today that can be really difficult and hard to handle. And as a result, we sometimes make mistakes in our family units. We fall short. We mess up. And I believe all of us with families could use this home improvement series. And, and, it, and like I stated the entire time, if you're single or if you're without family, I still believe that this material would be beneficial to you. Um, because all of these principles that we have talked about, and the one that we're going to talk about this morning, uh, applies to all Christians, not just those with, with family. So to do our review, if this is your first time with us or you missed out on some of the, uh, the sermons, we're just going to give you our review today, and then we'll hop right into the material. So week one, we talked about the importance of having a satisfying marriage, and we said if you want to have a family unit that is well and is doing well and is thriving, it starts with the husband-wife relationship because we said that if mom and dad are having issues or having difficulties, hard times, those hard times get projected onto the children. And you don't want your children to grow up in a toxic environment like that. So we gave you six principles that could help restore your marriage and to make it a happy one. Week two, week two we talked about incompatibility in marriage and we said we all have different personality types and when you come together in marriage sometimes those personality types they just they come to a head and there's problems in the relationship but you can get over that because we serve a God that teaches us how to compromise and to move forward in relationships anyway. Week three, we talked about the importance of a family, what a family is for, what God made it for, why he designed it. Last week, we talked about some elements of a healthy family. And today, finally, we're going to talk about how to resolve conflict in the family unit. And I know none of you have conflict in your family at all. So try not to fall asleep during the sermon, please. This morning, I want to start with a video clip. Mike, do you have that clip? You guys watch 
pay attention. This is a very, very important clip. It's going to spell out a lot of things that we do uh, when it comes to conflict in the family. Uh, it's safe to say that Mary and I have had a few arguments like that. I, I don't know about <laughs> don't, don't know about you guys, but chances are you too have had similar arguments like that. Uh, and it's funny because we look at this video and we we look at the silliness involved with this argument. As children, they're going back and forth. I said no, and you said yes, so forth and so on. And we look at the silliness of that as adults, as as grown-ups, don't we? But I wonder how God views his children when they argue back and forth and have conflict. I wonder if he views us the same way that we viewed these kids on this screen this morning. When we can't get along and we fuss and we fight and we have conflict, I wonder what, what God thinks about it. And I wonder if he says, how come my children just just can't seem to, to get along. So, so this morning, if you're dealing, or maybe you're even in the midst of conflict this morning within your relationship, or maybe it's not even your, your relationship at home, maybe it's some relationships outside of your family unit, maybe at work, or, or maybe with a friend, or, or, or something like that, whatever the case is, I really believe that the principles this morning that we're going to talk about will help you with that. But in particular, if you're married and you have a family unit and there is conflict in your family, really, really pay attention this morning because I think these principles are going to bless your life and help you out tremendously, okay? So strap your seatbelts. Let's go. Let's look at this first verse, Mike. It's found in Mark chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. And you guys know this text. You've heard it before. It says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Now, your translations may see it, say it a, a little differently, but the, the, the principle here is important, and we're going to get to it. What is the story, Jason? What was going on? I want to set the context real quick. If you look at Mark chapter 3, and you look at some of the passages before that, maybe even the chapter before, we see that Jesus, this character in Christ, uh, has come to the earth, and he is going around preaching the good news of the kingdom. He is healing all kinds of diseases. diseases 
diseases and sicknesses. He comes across some demon-possessed people, and he casts out the demons. And then in the next chapter, we see him appoint his 12 apostles. And then after that, we see him entering into a home where he is getting ready to have a meal with his disciples. And there is a very large crowd of people that gathers around him. And in that crowd of people, there were some teachers of the law there present. And these teachers of the law looked at Jesus and they were trying to assess and figure out how Jesus had this power to cast out demons from people. And so they came up with this thesis. And their thesis was, well, Jesus must be the prince of the demons. He must be demon-possessed himself. He must have the power to cast out demons because he is one or he works for the demons. And then Jesus gives this wonderful illustration about the home life. And he says a kingdom or a home in some different translations cannot stand if it is divided. So church, this morning, if your house or home life is in conflict, if there are opposing interests, it will not stand. Satan is on a full-fledged attack to destroy it. So we've got to learn how to overcome that and to fix that because a house divided against itself cannot stand. So let's flesh this out just a little bit. If a family, family unit, in, in particular husband and wife, uh, they have to be moving in, in the same direction. Uh, they have to be moving in the same trajectory, the same way. They have to have the same vision for their family. Otherwise, chaos not only uh, will occur, it, it, it will manifest itself in a lot of different areas. So you have to move in the same direction. You'd have to have the same vision. You see, if Mary and I had different ideas on how to raise the children, it would cause a lot of, a lot of conflict. So we had to learn how to agree on certain principles when it comes to raising our children or when it comes to finances or when it comes to our work situation. We have to be in agreement, otherwise it's not going to work. And it causes a lot of problems and a lot of issues when you're not moving in the same direction. God wants your family to be one. And he wants there to be a collective mission for your family rather than individual interests. And for those of us who have been married for a while or a long time, you know when you have individual interests, those can get you in trouble sometimes. Amen? But when you have a collective mission and you're doing stuff together as a family and you guys are moving in the same direction, God is pleased with that, and your family gels, and you see a lot of fruit as a result of it. So we've got to learn to have a collective mission, be moving in the same direction as a family unit. Otherwise, chaos will occur. Next slide. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. It says this about, in my opinion, conflict. How to resolve it. Gives us a principle here. Examine me, O God, and know my mind. Test me and discover 
my wife's thoughts. <laughs> Wish it said that, right? It doesn't say that. Discover my, well, I might not want to know what you, anyway. Discover my thoughts. Find out if there is any evil in me and guide me in the everlasting way. So the key, in my opinion, to resolving conflict is to first what? Examine yourself. But typically, that's not what we do when it comes to conflict. Amen? When it comes to conflict, we're so quick to look at the other person and to point out what they are doing wrong. I know some people that when conflict is present, they, they like to blame the other person first and to point the finger first before they have it pointed at them, right? So they, they, they automatically assume or automatically point and say, it's your fault, you did it. But the God that we serve wants us to examine ourselves first rather than pointing the finger first. And in some family units, I know some people that, that, that say, it, it's your fault that I am in this situation. It's your fault that I'm in this predicament. If I had never married you, my life wouldn't be on this trajectory. If our kids were not this way, then my life, it's you, you, them, them all the time. But God says, no. It starts with examining myself first. Because if you create a culture in your home of blame, that gets projected onto the children, and the children grow up to become adults that never take responsibility for any of their actions. I know this very well. The other day, I was walking across a crosswalk. You know, when you're walking down the street and you're taking your dog for a walk, you have to stop at the crosswalk, don't you? And in order to cross the street, typically, what do you do? You wait for that little sign to show that little guy walking, right, across. And it has to be that white light, and, and, and that gives you the cue that it's okay to walk across the street. The other day, I was walking across the street, stopped at the intersection, waited for that little guy to pop up, and I heard the noise, dee, 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 and it started counting, right? You had 24 seconds, so I began to walk. And I was strolling and having a good, good time. This person in a Mercedes decided to try to beat me before I started across the crosswalk. Almost ran over me. Almost flat like you might not have had a preacher this morning if God's intervention didn't help me out in this situation. So this person almost ran me over, almost clipped my leg and stopped right there. And I looked at this person in their eyes. And you know what they did to me? Honked the horn honked the horn at me, and then showed me a finger. I'm not going to tell you which one, but like it was my fault that I was crossing the crosswalk when it told me to. But yet this person said it was all me. So I kindly said a prayer. I did. And I went on about my business. But oftentimes we're so quick to point the finger at other people and sometimes we don't even realize we're the ones that have caused the problem. But because we created this culture of blame within our family unit, naturally that's what we do. So this scripture tells us 
to examine ourselves. And it says, examine me, O God. So examining ourselves requires us to pause and consider how we might be the one at fault. Wow, what an what a interesting kind of thought process. We could be at fault, yes. It might be your fault, it might be my fault. We've got to consider that, that it could be our fault. And by examining ourselves first, you know what we're doing? We're giving grace to the other person. And the very reason that you will be saved in the end is because of God's grace. So who are we to not to extend grace to other people? So we ought to examine ourselves first. And I believe God is pleased when you ask him, Lord, make me aware of the things that I have done wrong. Because it always takes two to tango, amen? Always, every single time. So the question is, if we're in situations, and maybe you've been here before, in our relationships where we have met our limit, where we have taken all that we can take and we can't take anymore, or maybe you're in a position where the conflict is so difficult and so hard, now you just don't know what to do. Some of us have been there before. You've been in this argument for like three weeks now, and you're done with it. You, you don't know how to move on. You're, you're, it's over. You keep fighting over the same thing over and over again. What do you do about it now? Well, the Bible gives us some principles to help us out with that. First of all, examine ourselves. Number two is this. Go to this next slide, Mike, if you will. It's found in James chapter 5, or 1, uh, verses 5 and 6. And it tells us what we should do when we get in positions where we feel like we can't take anymore, and we've reached our limit, and we just don't know what to do. God says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives it generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. This is a powerful passage because it communicates to me that sometimes in our families, we get so hurt or so upset that we don't know what to do or how to move forward in the relationship. And some of our families right now, and I might even say right now in this church, are stuck in seasons of conflict and just can't seem to move forward. So what do we do? Well, this passage is very clear. It tells us God wants us to pray to him and to ask for wisdom on what to do. And God wants to give you wisdom on how to overcome the problem. That gives him joy when you say, Lord, I just don't know what to do. Help me understand how to get over or to move forward with this. But you've got to believe that you can overcome the difficulty your family is facing. I know some people that just quit. They give up. My family, we're stuck in this, and my, my wife or my husband, we can't overcome this. We're just stuck, and it's never going to get any better. Well, if you have that defeated thinking and that mindset, it may not ever get better. You heard the story about the lady who was so fearful of dying by getting hit by a Mack truck, and she got on the road and got hit by a Mack truck and died. When you think about those things over and over again, chances are they will become true. So I'm thinking that's not going to happen. My family will survive. We will overcome. You have that positive mindset mentality. 
God says he wants you to have that mindset, to believe that you can get through it. So this morning, do you believe that you can get through the conflict you're facing right now in your family? If you're going, I don't know, you're already defeated. But if you're saying, yes, we will overcome, we will get through because God is strong, he's faithful, and he will help us through the situation. If you have that mentality in your mindset, you can overcome anything. And I'm going to say that one more time. You can overcome anything in your family with help from God and with faith and trust in him. You can get through anything. Don't believe Satan's lie. I want to move to another passage, and I'm going through this rather quickly. Matthew chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. You guys know this text very well, don't you? I, we, we hear it all the time. We've studied it often. It says this, How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, again, in this passage, it ties into that piece that we just mentioned of self-examination. But you know what I love about this passage so much? I love the fact that this passage is very uh, clear about the functionality of the eye. Now, I don't know about you, my eyes are very sensitive. And when something gets into my eye, I know it. Amen? It, it, it doesn't have to be something very large, but if something small is in my eye, it can take me out. I grew up in the South, and I remember growing up in the South, we would ride bikes everywhere. And in the South, especially during the summertime, they have these bugs called nets, right? And if you're riding your bike in the South and you get too excited and you open up your eyes wide, well, guess what that net is going to do fly right into your eye, sometimes up your nose, into your mouth. You know where I'm going. And when you get a gnat in your eye, you immediately stop and you ask for assistance. That's what you do. Because when something is in your eye, it just, you can feel it and it can, it can hurt. And your eyes are so sensitive, so you feel that. What about an eyelash? You've had an eyelash in your eye where you're blinking and you can't function and you have to stop, right? So it's amazing to me that this verse kind of talks about the eye. And it lets us know that our eyes are sensitive. And when we have something in our eye, we know it. In this passage, the accuser knows good and well that they have something in their eye. They know good and well they've got their own issues and their own problems and their own difficulties. But they are still trying to fix the other person in this passage. You notice that? They know they got something in their eye, but they don't care. And I wonder how many of us are like that in relationships. We know what our own demons are. We know the skeletons we have in the closet, but that doesn't matter because we still have to fix this other person. You know what that shows me? It shows me that sometimes we can be very stubborn and very unwilling to take responsibility for our own actions. And God calls people like that hypocrites. And the definition of a hypocrite is what? One who wears a mask. You can be hypocritical in your family, and your family should help you with that and call you out. I've got a daughter that is so good at calling me out at my hypocrisy. 
this is a wonderful season. I don't know if you noticed, but it's uh, Halloween. And during Halloween, you get to enjoy a lot of candy. And uh, one of my favorite candies is candy corn, right? The one, you guys eat that? It has the candy corn and the pumpkins in there. And I bought a big bag of it, and Izzy was eating the candy corn. And I said, Izzy, you better not eat up all that candy corn because it's going to mess up your teeth and you're not going to be very healthy. So put that candy corn away and stop eating that candy corn. And she said, you've got it, Father. No problem. So she went and sat down. And I went and got a couple of handfuls of the candy corn and began to eat in front of her. And she said, Daddy, didn't you just tell me I shouldn't be eating all that candy corn? But you, Father, <laughs> are eating all the candy corn. So what's this about, Dad? I love when your family helps you to understand that sometimes you can be a little hypocritical. We all do it. We struggle with it. And we can be hypocritical at times, and our family should help us with that. And when we are caught in that space of being hypocritical and making a mistake, let's fess up to it, and let's get over it, and let's work on it. You know, uh, <laughs> the other day, uh, Mary and I, we love to talk on, on the phone, and, and uh, we were in the cars, and Mary's coming back from work, and I was coming back from the church building, and I was going to tell her about this amazing story that just happened to me. So Mary was on the phone driving home from work on the Bluetooth, and as I was talking to her, I didn't hear her respond at all. I, I didn't. And I said, Mary, did you hear what I said? And she didn't respond. And I said, Mary, why do you do this when I have something so important that I want to tell you? You don't even care to listen to me. And she didn't say anything at all. And I started getting really upset. I said, Mary, why are you giving me the cold shoulder and ignoring me? Why are you doing this? You always do this to me. And I looked down at my phone. I realized I was on mute, so she couldn't hear me. <laughs> so quick to point the finger at her. And after I turned my phone off on mute, she said, Jason, I couldn't, what were you doing? You weren't talking to me, right? But the whole time I'm thinking it's her, it's her. And oftentimes we do that. You know, we point the finger and we're so quick to, to, to say it's you and we don't even realize what we're doing sometimes. We've got to examine ourselves and not be hypocritical. Amen. <laughs> Next verse, Ephesians chapter 4, 31 and 32. We've got to learn to forgive. Get rid of all bitterness. There's passages throughout the scripture. Husbands, don't be bitter with your wives. Forgive one another. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. In order to resolve conflict in the family, you have to be quick to forgive and not hold grudges. Be forgiving and don't hold on to that stuff because when you hold on to a grudge, it's hurting you personally and not only you personally, it's, holding, it's hurting your entire family unit when you can't let some things go. So you've got to learn to forgive and to forget and to move forward and when you don't forgive, you, you, your family just festers in a season of, of difficulty. So the Bible tells us that if we want to avoid or resolve conflict, let's be really, really quick to forgive. You see, I can still be mad about the guy that almost ran me over, but I'm not going to be. Just decided that right now. I'm not, 
going <laughs> to be upset with that man because it'll ruin my day. So I'm going to forgive him. But forgiveness is so important because we let go and we're not hold prisoner anymore. So in your family, maybe you just need to forgive. Maybe the situation hasn't been resolved. And I know a lot of times in our family, we have to keep at it until it gets resolved. Sometimes things just don't get resolved. Sometimes it's just the, the differences are there, but we learn to love each other anyway. I'm going to leave the top off the toothpaste. Mary can't fix that. She has to love me anyway. It's not, you know, we got to get through those seats and just say, hey, this is the way it is. We're going to love each other no matter what anyway, and we're going to move forward. And then lastly, if you don't get anything I say this morning, this is so, so important. And we're going to close with this. It's this next passage uh, found in Proverbs chapter 13. And it says this, pride leads to arguments. Can, I, can you say amen this morning? Amen. Amen. <laughs> pride leads to arguments. Those who take advice are wise. Pride is the source of arguments. That's, that's where arguments come from, our pride. So I want to say this this morning as we close. In your family unit, please don't be a know-it-all all the time. Maybe a little time is okay, but not all the time. Don't, don't be a know-it-all all the time. And seek advice from successful families and successful married couples. Mary and I are so blessed to have both sets of our parents, and we've got grandparents on both sides that are still living. And, and, and we're so blessed because when we get in seasons of difficulties, we can call mom and dad and say, hey, we're struggling through this. How do we get through it? And they'll give us great advice. Or we'll call grandma and grandpa and say, hey, how do you get through this? We're having trouble in this situation. They'll say, hey, here's what you do. The problem is when I think I have all the right answers, that's when it gets even worse. When I know I'm right and I don't need advice from others, that's when it gets even worse. And usually when you think you have all the right answers all the time, you're usually the one that's completely way off track, aren't you? When you think you have all the right answers. Have you ever met a know-it-all before? And everything that they say is always right all the time. <laughs> and usually those know-it-alls are just completely off the entire time. I, you know, I'll be quiet. Um, so the key is to listen to others. Take their advice. Be humble, and that'll help you overcome the conflict that you're facing. So just a couple of principles as we close, as we finish up this series. You know, if you're in a season of conflict in your family, maybe you're having difficulties with other people, maybe you don't even have a family, and this, this message has resonated with you, examine self. Examine self. Forgive. Seek advice for others. Examine self, forgive, seek advice from others. And I think if you do those three things, that, thing, that, that, that conflict that you're in, that season of conflict will, will start to work itself out. And make sure you pray, above all, for God's wisdom to help you through this situation. So I think if you do that, you can get through any and everything that you're facing. I hope and pray that this sermon series has been beneficial to you and to your family unit. Because I think if God or if Satan can destroy our, our healthy family units, he can really bring down a church. So if we want to have a healthy, strong church, it starts with healthy, strong families at home. So maybe this morning you're in a season of conflict. Maybe you're having difficulties. 
Maybe something during this sermon series was said that really pricked and poked at your hearts. Whatever the case may be, we have a song of invitation selected. And during that song of invitation, we're inviting you to come forward. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for your entire family. And ask that God's presence, His Holy Spirit, would guide and pre- uh, present a season of peace and, and longevity and, and fruitfulness in your family. Or maybe you don't have a family this morning. Maybe you're a single person and you're thinking about some of these principles and God spoke to you anyway through this sermon series. This invitation is for you as well. Whatever your needs or concerns are, we're a family here. We love you. We want you to come together while we stand and sing the song of invitation. <laughs>